Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there, you have found your way to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for choosing this podcast, because let's face it, there are millions of podcasts that you can choose from, and yet many of you keep coming back to listen to the interviews that I do on this show. I originally called the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do because I'm excited about looking at what people are doing in business and how they're making waves and shaking things up. I changed the name last year when I joined the executive search firm, Stanton Chase, uh, doing executive search and business development for that firm uh, because my focus is on those C-suite and vice president level people. I wanted to have a little continuity in my life, so I changed the name of the podcast to Making Waves at Sea Level, but we still look for the coolest people out there to interview on the show, and today is going to be one of those days. But before I get started... I'm going to plug another podcast. And you're thinking, why? Why would you plug another podcast? It's because I'm the host. Uh, I'm actually the professional host that is uh, hosting this for an organization. I actually make part of my living now hosting three other podcasts. But I am the host of the National Speakers Association's podcast called Speakernomics. And we created this together in early 2021 uh, to be the voice of the industry of professional speakers. And I have so far done about 15 or 20 interviews, and I'm really proud of the product. So if you work as a speaker, as a consultant, as a coach, as a trainer, anyone who uses a podcaster, even anyone who uses the spoken word as part of your business, you should check out Speakernomics. And you can get that everywhere you find podcasts. All right, so today's show, I am really excited because a friend of mine sent me a TEDx talk. I try to watch two or three TEDx talks every week because it's a great way to get just information you may or may not have been exposed to. And as soon as I finish this talk, I Googled this gentleman and asked him if he would come on the show. And three days later, we are sitting here recording this episode. And his talk is called How I Became an Entrepreneur at 66. Now, if you know me, you know that my motto for the last five years has been my goal is to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. Now, people often say, Tom, what about 75 to 100? Your dad lived to be 99. What do you do then? I still got 20 years till I'm 75. I will cross that bridge and have a brand new motto when I get there. But in the meantime, <laughs> I have really looked at this idea of the second half of life being the best half of life. It's when you got to try new things. It's when you crack out of the box. And this guy's TED Talk has a ton of views, and he is clearly one of the leaders out there who talk about ageism and why that sucks. So I said, come on the show because we're like kindred spirits. He's a couple years older than I am, but he is doing really interesting things. So Paul Tasner is the CEO of and founder of a company called Pulpworks. And at 66, he launched this company and they design and produce packaging out of garbage. That's right, garbage. And the whole idea is to replace pack, uh, plastic packaging. So not only does he have a business, but he's saving the environment. And that makes him twice as cool. So, Paul, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you, Tom. That's, I don't keep track of these things, but that had to be one of the best intros ever for me. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Awesome. I, should have hit, 
I should have hit the record button myself so that I could replay your intro. That's all right. It'll be available like next week on Apple Podcasts okay. and everywhere you get your podcast love. You can just put it on a loop and just play it back over and over again. Excellent. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered by your kind words. So, Paul, I, I know nothing about your past other than the title of your talk is at 66, you became an entrepreneur. So let's back up. What did you do before you were 66 years old and what happened to make you become an entrepreneur? Um, good, good question. Um, truth be told, my my business uh, today, which I launched at sixty six, as you said, is not tremendously different from my entire career past. With one notable difference, it's my business. I'm not working for somebody else. Until until I launched my business, I'd always been employed by somebody else. Now, somebody else in my case was a variety of large corporations, medium-sized, even, you know, small startup. But I never worked for myself, uh, with the exception of some, you know, consulting gigs, you know, here and there. So uh, doing something entrepreneurial um, was, was brand new to me. But something I had dreamt about my entire career, but just frankly didn't have didn't have the guts to take that big step. I always had a, you know, a pretty decent excuse, um, which in the end weren't really good excuses, but I convinced myself they were. Um, but I took the leap. Um, I took the leap after being fired from my last job. Uh-oh. I was fired. What, 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 what happened there? Um, I don't, you know, I don't think it was an unusual story. I worked for a, you know, a, a small to medium-sized uh, consumer products company, and um, the gentleman that had hired me, the CEO, uh, had himself been fired when uh, things got a little shaky during the recession, and uh, they brought in a new CEO uh, um, who I really didn't care for that much. Um, the old CEO was just a a giant uh, of a guy for me. And uh, I just never saw eye to eye with him. And I probably wasn't very good at masking that. <laughs> so uh, eventually my number came up, uh, didn't happen immediately. And um, it wasn't a huge surprise as I look back on it. And it was definitely a blessing in disguise. Um, I, I left there, uh, a few days before Christmas, the first time I'd ever been fired in my life. And I was not devastated by it at all. I, and, and that, that was an honest reaction. Um, I, I love the story in your TEDx talk that, that you were meeting your wife for dinner that night. And so you showed up at the restaurant unbeknownst to her and then you guys just got drunk. That's correct. <laughs> I thought that was a great line. It's like, I got, I got laid off. We already had a date. I just met her at the restaurant and, and we just drank a lot. And I thought that's, you know, what a, that makes the day a little better. It does. Absolutely. Um, I, I spent a couple of years kind of, uh, you know, floundering around. I mean, but by that, I mean, I, I went back to doing consulting uh, and, um, you know, in an effort to generate revenue. But my eye was always on developing a business. And it took me a while. I explored many avenues, all of them kind of related to my background in manufacturing and packaging. Um, but it did take a couple of years to land on what eventually became my business. And, uh, and after that, you know, it was just, uh, you know, moving ahead. Um, and uh, that was, by the way, 10 years ago. So uh, I'm now, I'll be 76 this summer. And um, it's been 10 years since I launched my business. 
It continues to do well. It, it, um, it improves year after year, not meteorically, um, but it improves. And um, my whole definition of success, quite frankly, is not the same definition I would have given you if you asked me at 35 or 45 or even 55. I think then my definition would have been entirely focused on economics. Now my definition of success is entirely different. Um, And, um, you know, I feel really blessed to be able to get up every day excited about my business. Um, I think that really is more my definition of success than anything else. Um, I I just love it. I can totally relate to that because, you know, I've been working for myself for 12 years, although I did go back to work with a company this year, but sort of on a part-time basis around my speaking business, if you will, uh, yes. and sort of mirroring, mirroring the executive search and my consulting and speaking business uh, side by side. But I will tell you that at 50, I made this proclamation that I said in the introduction, and I look at the word of success very differently than I would have at even 49 years old. And it's, it's not about money. My kids are out of the house. I still have an Ivy League college tuition to pay for, but, uh, you know, three and a half more years, she'll be out. And, uh, you know, my, my attitude is much more around uh, being fulfilled and doing fulfilling things that, that sort of help others and the environment and everything else. So you got into this world of doing sort of ecology-friendly packaging. How did that come up as your choice? Um, that I can uh, honestly attribute to my last employment, uh, although it did end in my dismissal. It was a really forward-leaning company in terms of the environment, and um, I didn't I didn't go into that job with a great passion for the environment. But I certainly left that job with a you know an enhanced passion about the environment. So I uh, I give thanks there where it's well deserved, quite frankly. And um, yeah, so um, you know not not only not only being my own uh, boss as it is when you're doing something entrepreneurial, but doing, doing something good while you're doing it for yourself just makes it that much sweeter. Quite frankly, I'm really, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of the work and uh, boy, nothing, nothing beats that feeling. And um, when I was fired and started, um, started doing some consulting, I thought, this is not the way I want to kind of spend my last chapter of my career. I just, I just, I feel like I've got more to contribute. I know I want to contribute more and um, I'm really fortunate that I found a way. So tell us about the company today. How many people, uh, who are you serving? What are you doing? Sure. Only two principals, myself and, and my, and my co-founder who joined me, you know, a few months after my initial launch um, everybody else is part-time or um, contract or temporary. We have no other full-time employees. Everyone else that is engaged with us is on an as-needed basis. And we're very fortunate that most of those people have been the same people over the years. And um, as far as our, our design and manufacturing, that is outsourced as well. Um, our manufacturing partners have been the same partners for the 10 years that we've had our business. Um, they don't feel like, they don't feel like partners. They feel like they're on the same team as us. Um, and we have transparent relationships with them and I couldn't be more pleased the way that's worked out. And 
so I guess uh, in you know in a sense I've created a a, a, a virtual company of sorts, one that I can manage uh, from you know my spare bedroom at home or you know a beach somewhere in the south of France. Uh, it, you know as long as I have access to my uh, my laptop and Wi-Fi. I can manage my business. So that's a great uh, segue into my next question, which is what do you love about the life of an entrepreneur? What do you love about creating your own way? Um, a number of things. I mean, I love, I love that my business is integrated or I should say managing my business is integrated into managing my life. Um, you know, I consider talking to you part of my business, but as soon as we're done, my wife and I are going to go for a long walk. Um, you know, she doesn't have to wait until I get home at 6 p.m., you know, after, uh, you know, spending the last hour on the freeway in traffic. So, uh, you know, I guess that all adds up to independence. Um, and um, but by the same token, it's it's always a part of me. I mean, it's integrated into my life. So I'll, I'll be engaged in my business, you know, Saturday evening or Sunday morning if it need if it needs to be. And, and often it does need to be. Um, so I just, I just love that, that the sense that it's a, it's an integral part of what I'm doing. And, um, it, um, the, the, the winds feel so good. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's plenty of comfort for the losses as well. Um, but it feels so good to be successful when it, when it's your very own. And the fact that we're still here 10 years later, uh, <clears throat> uh, we continue to grow, as I said, um, we've attracted large companies, um, now, you know, thank goodness for the internet and for search engines, um, we're easy to find and, um, we've attracted a number of large clients and not, we don't always score a home run with them, but, but we've attracted them. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's much more of a level playing field these days. And I couldn't be more pleased about that. Nice. So I've got more questions for you. There's so much here oh. I want to unpack. But first, go ahead, please. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this okay. episode is brought to you, like all of them, by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Paul Tasner. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you out there want to, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. All right, so Paul... One of the cool things of your story is at some point you applied to be in residence with the TED organization, as in like TED Talks, and you got right. to spend like four months working there, being a thought leader, thinking and kind of devising what eventually became your TED Talk. How did that come about? Um, completely by accident. Um, um, we had a client in our business, uh, a company that was based in India, in Chennai, India, and um, we were shipping products to them for um, medical devices um, to replace their plastic packaging. We were shipping compostable packaging for these devices. Um, and we had a little bit of, a, of an import problem with Indian customs and duty. 
And I, um, I reached the uh, founder of the company and um, was explaining the delay and et cetera, et cetera. And she needed to cut the call short. And she said, why don't you call me back? We're only three hours apart. And I said, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Where are you? We're usually like 12 and a half hours apart. I think it was pretty close to that. And she said, oh, I'm in New York. Uh, oh, I didn't tell you. I'm, I'm at TED. I'm a TED resident. And I, I said, what, what's that? And she explained to me that, you know, the, the TED organization had selected her um, to be part of their resident community. And she'll be spending four months at TED with uh, two, you know, two dozen other people from all walks of life and all around the world. And, um, you know, she was just thrilled with it. And then she finished by saying, you ought to apply. And I said, oh, really? And she said, yes, you really ought to apply. It's an incredibly diverse group. I, I think you'd really give it the kind of balance that it needs. So I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And the rest is history, I guess. I applied, and I was accepted into the next group of TED residents. And this was back in 2017. That's, I mean, that's just such a great, I didn't know said program existed. And when, when I heard about it, I'm like, I want to do that. That sounds cool. And, and what came out of it was a really great TEDx talk. It was a TED talk. I mean, I hate to, I hate to be picky about it. But no, no, it, no, it, no, no. Be picky about no. that. Trust me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, a, a TEDx is, is similar, but uh, yeah, you know, I did, so. I did a TEDx talk. You okay, did, gotcha. you did a TED talk. I know the difference. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I'm quite proud of it. So I, I'm usually not really fussy about things, but yeah. So, um, yeah, it was great. It was um, not to be uh, melodramatic, but it was life changing. Um, many of those 24 people that I was with are still my, my dear friends. Um, of course, COVID has thrown a, you know, curveball at most of us, uh, including the residency program itself, I'm guessing, but hopefully those things will come back. But sure. just an amazing opportunity. I'm, I'm, uh, imagine yourself, you know, uh, quote, locked in a room with 24 people for four months and not finding any single person objectionable. Wow. I mean, that, that, that's hard to do when you're with three people. I, I'm lucky to do that when I get together with my extended family. Exactly. These are just amazing people, talented, wonderful, big hearted people. And uh, just really feel so fortunate to have met them. So you end your talk or very near the end of your talk. You talk about the fact that you're done hearing these people like around the Silicon Valley and everything be like, ooh, 30 under 30, ooh, 30 under 30. Yes. And you said you want to see much more of them highlighting entrepreneurship for 70 over 70. And I was like, Correct. yes, yes, Paul. <laughs> I was like, right on that. So why do you think we live in a society where we champion the youth and yet the statistics actually show that entrepreneurship is often more successful when you're, when you're starting it in that second half of life. So let's talk about that. It, yes. I, I'm, I'm afraid that the, you know, the, the success of, of being 70 plus is just not as well publicized as the quote successes of the 30 under 30 group. Um, and, you know, it doesn't help when you hear Silicon Valley thought quote thought leaders uh, saying things that, you know, nobody over 30 has any really fresh ideas, et cetera, et cetera. I actually think Mark Zuckerberg made that comment probably. Yeah, probably before he turned he 30. Yeah. 
Yeah, you might regret that now. Well, it's um, like it's like no, I'm, I'm not being generationalist here, but it's like you know the baby boomers. Your generation had that famous saying back in the late '60s, early '70s: "Don't trust anybody over 40." And you never heard them mention that again, like in the '90s and the 2000s. Correct, correct. I think it was 30, not 40, and you're <laughs> absolutely right. Um, but yeah, it just needs to be publicized more, which is why I accept every every speaking opportunity that I'm given, including, you know, podcasts like your own to just spread that word. I mean, it, it really needs to be spread. Well, and what's uh, the statistic of success for people who are over 50 or whatever with who start businesses? It's, it's a really high number compared to the 70%, 70% of people who in the second half of life are becoming entrepreneurs have success. Whereas correct. people in their twenties, their, their failure rate is like that or more. Um, uh, yeah, pretty close. I think their success rate is in the high 20%. Yeah. So um, what do we have to yeah. do? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm younger than you, but I'm marching this cause all I'm going to do is get older. I too will turn 76 someday, uh, you know, 21 years from now, but. Well, if you're, if you're tr- now that you know that and you're trying to raise money for any particular venture that you've got in mind, you know, that's one of the first things that would be out of my mouth if I were talking to investors, Unfortunately, I didn't know that when uh, when we reached out for investment capital, which we never actually never received. Um, you know, I didn't know that fact, or it would have been the first thing out of my mouth. That doesn't mean we would have been successful, but at least we would have had a more compelling story to tell. So I, I want to take this a step farther. I want to talk about sure. ageism because at yeah. fifty five, I'm starting to see it. Not badly but I'm starting to see it. So I've made my living for a long time as a professional speaker. And I recently had a very young meeting planner. And by recently, I mean pre-pandemic, so 14 months ago, who basically said, yeah, we're just not looking for old white guys. And I thought, wow, are you supposed to say that to somebody? But she was about 29 years old. And those are the words that came out of her mouth. And I thought, you know, all right, whatever. I mean, it, it, it didn't, it didn't harm my soul, but it was like, wow, this is the direction we're headed where people not only do that, but they can just say it out loud. So what's your take on, (laughs) what's your take on the state of ageism and how do we fight it? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's, um, you know, that, uh, that, um, what is it? Um, syndrome, I guess, uh, you know, when you have something, you begin to notice it everywhere. You buy a Volkswagen, you notice every Volkswagen on the road. Um, I do notice a lot being said and published about ageism. I I know some of the quote experts in the area. Uh, I shouldn't say quote, they are experts in the area. Um, So I don't know if there's a greater awareness of ageism, but I also don't know if it's really improving despite the greater awareness of it. But I will tell you, I will tell you something that I found fascinating about ageism in, in, in my own story. And I, I suspect this may be true of, of many others. Ageism reared its ugly head in my story. When I went looking for money, I wanted to convince people that I had a business venture worth investing in. Now, there were a number of reasons that investing in my business did not make sense. Primarily, I'm, I'm in Silicon Valley. Why would you invest in a business making packaging out of garbage when you can invest in the next, you know, Instagram? Right. Um, I get that. But in some cases, 
the objection had to do with me, that I was simply too old, that it was a young man's game, as I heard from several. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, you know, that, that stung a little bit, but it didn't, it didn't stop me from continuing. I found another way around investing the money and I was very, very fortunate. Um, so we used, we used some of our own money to launch it and we had amazing partners who let us pay them after we got paid, which is a pretty, just quite a rarity nowadays or any time in business. So I was really fortunate because I had relationships with these people, but I did notice something about ageism and when it displayed itself in my case, it was when I needed something, when I needed money um, or the same thing might be said when you're looking for work, you're, you're looking for money. You want, you want your employer to pay you. So you're, you're, you're looking for money in, in a sense as well. I never saw one iota of ageism when I stopped looking for money. Never, never has a customer said to me or a potential customer. You're too old. (laughs) We don't want your packaging. You're too old. (laughs) Never has a supplier said to me, I'm sorry, I'd like to ship that product to you, but you're just too old. (laughs) Never. It's never come up again. Not even an iota of ageism. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They care if you get your product to them on time, within budget, without any defects. That's what they care about. Do you pay your bills on time? That's what they care about. So, you know, once we got over that ugly hump of needing money, ageism ageism has never been an issue. And going even beyond that, most of the people that I interact with are younger than me. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, that stands to reason. I'm 76. (laughs) Everybody is younger than you. Everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe that. Um, Yeah. I mean, Mostly everyone I engage with is younger than me. So, uh, and, and we talk to each other as if we're the same age because we're talking about business and work and, you know, the environment, et cetera. It's never been an issue again after that ugly, you know, first year of trying to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get what's the moral to the story is um, don't go looking for money if, if you're a senior entrepreneur. Um, you know, I don't want to dissuade anyone from, from doing something entrepreneurial. I mean, maybe you'll have that spectacular idea regardless, despite the fact that you're 75 years old and you'll attract that, you know, those dollars. And I, and I hope you do. I mean, more power to you, but be aware that it's, it's there. It's there. So why does our society focus so much? You know, for a long time, the last 15 years, there was book after book and speaker after speaker and training class for companies put on by HR after training class for from HR about dealing, you know, how, how to change your company to work with the millennials. And then the millennials started to get over 40. And then in this last, you know, year, there have been several books that have been released and all the the generational speakers have switched their stuff to how do we change our lives to to work with Gen Z and all all the information on the generations is always put out to that youngest group. How come nobody's focusing on, you know, first of all, no one's ever paid attention to Generation X. We've just been sort of ignored the whole time. But, you know, the baby boomers, a lot of them, like yourself, you know, are still spry, still are producing, still are creating, and we're not really paying attention to them all that much. What is it in our society that makes it all about a young woman's or a young man's world? I don't know. I don't know. It is, it is something that's, uh, 
it is, it is a hallmark of, of our particular culture. I don't know if it's true in other cultures and other, um, you know, d- despite the great reverence for age that um, Asian cultures have, um, it, you know, business still seems to be a young person's game, judging from what I see on the internet, et cetera. Um, you know, the big stars of their economy are generally younger men and women. Um, I don't see a lot of gray hair, you know, in terms of the, the giants of, of their economy either. So perhaps it's simply um, a human trait rather than a cultural trait. I, I have, I have no idea, but it's, it's, it'd be great if we could make some inroads because the numbers don't support it. I mean, not, not only are we successful, you know, at, at the rate of 70%, you know, but a lot of that has to do with, we bring 40 or 50 years of experience to that business. So I'm a real fan of mentorship and anyone who listens to this podcast knows that, you know, every few months I do an episode where we either directly or indirectly talk about the importance of it, of mentorship and mentorship doesn't have to be someone older helping someone younger, sometimes it can be a flipped version or peer-to-peer version. But a few weeks ago, I a few weeks ago, I interviewed two gentlemen who I'm their mentor. And I'm not in their business, I'm not in their industry, but they both found me like eight years ago. We have a super good friendship. They call me their fake dad, but really they're they're two of my super close friends. And their friends sometimes find it weird that they're both 30, 31 years old, that they intentionally want to hang out with this 55-year-old. Like we went camping one time and They've become friends, uh, and and yet they're both extremely successful, making more money than a lot of their peers, and their peers will be like, how come you're kicking ass so much? And they'll be like, well, I have this great mentor, and they'll call me with things, whether it's about dealing with their boss, dealing with a coworker, dealing with a deal that's gone weird, or dealing with someone they're dating. They'll call me with all kinds of stuff, and I will never tell them what to do, but I'll give them a choice of some ideas, and the joke is, God, he's always right, and one of them said to me a few years ago, how come you're always right? And my answer was, because I've seen this a hundred times. Even if it wasn't me, I had a friend who went through this and it wasn't any different dating in 1985 than it is in 2020. And it was not any different dealing with a boss who's got a chip on his shoulder 23 years ago than it is, you know, 23 years from now, if you will. So, so I'm a big believer that cross-generational friendships are super powerful. How, how do we encourage that in our society? Uh, I think, you know, there are some, you know, gen, gen to gen organizations. Um, I remember receiving some, um, some literature from, from one of them, uh, that trying to establish these gen to gen, um, can't recall who exactly who it was, but there's certainly not enough of it. And I agree with you, every, every interaction that I've had with someone of a different generation, and they're usually a different generation, has been fantastic, fantastic. Um, and, and I agree with you that I have learned so much from people, you know, who could be my grandchildren. Oh, yeah, I learn uh, as much from, from these, you know, quote, you know, hashtag fake sons. I learn as much yeah. from, from these two young friends as they learn from me. They just don't see it as directly, but I learn a lot from them too. Exactly, exactly. I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question. I, 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 I'd probably be on a different podcast if I did know those <laughs> answers. Tom. All right. So my last question is, yes, what, what can you and I and anyone listening do to encourage more entrepreneurship of those who are in that second half of life? 
Um, well, you know, I, I guess, I guess, you know, if, if, if you're, if you'll believe that I'm, I'm being sincere, I, I am here to tell you that it's been the most, in, it's been the most rewarding and challenging work of my life. Um, and I am so glad I made that choice. And, you know, um, I just can't encourage people enough to do it, no matter what they're choosing to do. There's just something special about doing it as an entrepreneur. If, if you've been an accountant in an accounting department at a large corporation for 30 years and you just feel like just one big gray number, <laughs> if, you, if you leave and start your own accounting business, and God knows you'd probably think the last thing you want to do is more accounting, but just leaving and starting your own accounting business I guarantee you'll feel some fulfillment in doing that because it's your business. It's your baby, so to speak. I, I just I just can't say enough about it. I, I, I can't wait to wake up every morning and check my inbox, which is something I used to be petrified about when I was working in corporate world. Um, it's just the best choice I've ever made in my life. And um, I, I I can't say any more than that. And if, if, if you have, if I'm a even re, remotely credible source to any of your listeners, I would encourage them to take that leap. Well, I hope every community around the United States and beyond is listening because most of them have 30 under 30. I think it would be really cool if all of those chambers of commerce or whoever runs said programs took up the 70 over 70 uh, you know, or even if it was seven over 70, just honor the people in your community who are doing really cool entrepreneurial things and making waves in that latter part of life. I think every community would be better off if they started highlighting that instead of some 19 year old who created an app. You can still honor the 19 year old and their app, but you should be honoring that person on the other side doing it too. Cause I think what you said in your Ted talk was great. I think everyone should go and just Google how I became an entrepreneur at 66. Uh, it shows right up on the top when you Google those words, he's right there and learn more about Paul Tasner. Now, if people want to find out about you, uh, beyond the Ted talk and they want to, uh, find out about pulp works, where do they go? Go to our website, pulpworksinc.com. And, uh, it should tell you everything you want to know about our business and um, and send us a note. Let us know. Let us know you heard me talking on, on this wonderful podcast. Awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your willingness to just jump right on with a couple days notice and do this. I've had a lot of, fun, a lot of fun talking to you. I hope that we can continue to keep in touch. This was a lot of fun. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do the show? So go out there, flex your entrepreneurial muscles, no matter what your age. Make sure your career ladder is against the correct wall because climbing a career ladder to get to the top and find out it's in the wrong place, that sucks. I know because I did it. And then finally, while you're doing this, go out and have some fun. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.